Hello, Fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the elder board, as four of our current elders will be completing their terms of service next summer. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations of fellowship. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we're asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one of those up in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 19th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate this process. Our desire is to be sensitive and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would like to thank Rod Easley, Steve Lampkin, Dick Nervig, and Steve Weber for their years of service as elders. They have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their tenure and have represented you well. When you see them, please thank them personally. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination process. Thank you. If y'all can have a seat. Hey, Mosaic family. My name's Josh, and I work with Celebrate Recovery. Hello, yeah. I work with Celebrate Recovery Student Ministries, and my wife and I also lead community groups here at Mosaic. We're so glad you guys are here during our Advent season. If you're new here, if you're visiting, we would love for you guys to be able to get plugged in. You can text I'm new to this number that's on the screen behind me. You can ask some of the people around you what it's like to worship and follow Jesus here, or you can meet some of our people in the booth outside right after service. We would love to get you guys connected this Advent season. And speaking of Advent season, it's time for the gift. We would love to um, watch this video.
Hey fellowship, Sam Hannon here. As we head into the Christmas season, I've been amazed at the generosity that you've displayed at our church. You know, for many of us, we love to give gifts as an expression of our gratitude during the Christmas season. And at fellowship, we have an opportunity for you through the gift. The gift is an opportunity to express gratitude to the Lord and the elders will take our offerings and distribute those uh, locally and regionally and globally to do good in His name. Last year, you gave over $660,000 to the gift and we can't wait to see what the Lord does with it this year. So Mickey, I want to know, how, how did the gift get started at Fellowship? Yeah, you know, Robert and I recently did a podcast and we were reminiscing about some of that. And it came from a day when we were sitting around the table and we were just talking about what you just mentioned, that uh, we give gifts to family, we give gifts to friends, but we had no mechanism in place for us to be able to give to God. And we said, what if we gave people the opportunity to give to God during the Christmas season and then whatever was given, the elders would make a decision on how those funds were spent. And we've been able to do projects here on our fellowship campus. Uh, we've been able to help people, as you said, locally, regionally, and globally. And it's been a blessing. People have given millions of dollars over the years to the gift. And it's really been a blessing to not only our church, but people around the world. And what I love about the gift is it takes that generous spirit from the individual level and it gives us an opportunity to be generous as a church. Well, Fellowship, we'd love to ask you to pray about your participation in the gift this year. And I just wanna thank you for being generous and helping us make a difference in Northwest Arkansas and the world. I don't know if you guys heard that, over $600,000 given to different things this time last season. We love the culture of generosity at our church. And so in this Advent season, if you're looking for a way to give, um, please consider giving to the gift. Talk with your family, prayerfully consider a way that you can show some generosity and that we can continue to uh, serve and love the people in Northwest Arkansas in the world well and show them the love of Jesus. Hey, and if you want to learn more about the gift, we have a great opportunity. I'm on uh, our direction leader, Mickey's podcast, The Ride Home. He's uh, meeting with his old friend, Robert Cup, one of our founding pastors, and they're talking about the history of this gift. I was telling Mickey a little bit earlier, one of my favorite things to get to hear him do is talk with Robert and his old ministry buddies about um, what God has done through things like this. And so if you're curious about what that is, you're still not sure, um, please take, give that a listen. We would love for you to hear from that. You also get to hear a little bit more from Mickey later as he leads us in God's word. Hey, if you're looking for another opportunity to give in the area, a Samaritan Church and Samaritan Shop uh, have an opportunity for you guys. Uh, we have the, the affordable Christmas needs, and there are families with specific needs that they need in this holiday season. And so if you feel led, please go to that QR code or go to our website. We would love for you to be able to make donations to them. Uh, but please, if that's something you're really interested in, we need to have those donations made by December 1st. And if you're trying to figure out how to lead your family through this Advent season, we have family Advent devotionals here for Mosaic. Uh, those are in the back at the, uh, right outside the Children's Center check-in. You can go in there and get yours. Uh, and if you have the one from last year, that is the one you'll walk your family through again. But we have an updated bookmark for the dates and that kind of thing. So if you, don't have, if you have the Advent book from last year, please go to the booth and get the new bookmark so you can follow along. But if you don't have that, we would love to get you and your family that so you guys can walk through this Advent season and uh, really recognize the hope we have in Jesus together. And if you, you yourself would love to dive a little bit deeper in this Advent season, our church has daily devotionals that are starting this week. You can go to that, you can text that number or text Devo to that number on the screen or go to that QR code. We have those written online. We also have audio versions of that that you can listen to as well. We would love to help you guys walk in this, this Advent season together. 
And as we step in that Advent season together, we invite you guys to come worship with us and recognize God for what he's done. Uh, this is one, again, Kyle mentioned it, it's one of my favorite times of the year because God has done so much. Jesus is here and that's something we can celebrate and, and recognize together. So you guys, we head in this time of worship and learning. Would you guys pray with me for the service in this time? Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, coming for this Advent season that we get to recognize, remember what you've done. We thank you for the individual lives in this room that have been changed, the families that have been changed by you, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you'd meet us here, that you'd work in our hearts, that you'd reveal through your word and through worship who you are, what you've done, and what you're continuing to do. Lord, of all the places uh, we're coming from and all the things maybe we experienced this week or the things that we're worried about this coming week, God, I pray for just some time to pause, to recognize who you are, to recognize the hope that we can find in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thanks, Josh. Church, I wanna encourage you as we step into Advent season, we sing these Advent songs to see them as more than just Christmas songs. These words have great truth that we get to pray together. We get to sing together. So I wanna encourage you as we sing this song to just stand with us and lift your voice. If you feel a little bit uncomfortable, just give it a try. We're all family in here. So let's lift our voices together as you stand. We'll sing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Sounds great. That mourns in lonely exile Until the Son of God appears. Let's rejoice, church. Now, 
more time. Rejoice. 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 Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Sing rejoice one more time. for our offering tonight. Would you read this prayer aloud with me? O Father, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. Oh 
Come let us adore him. gathered in this place, even on this evening, to know that and, and proclaim that you are worthy, God. Lord, that you are the one who has the right to rule and reign. We love you, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would y'all have a seat? a season of expectant, purposeful waiting for the fulfillment of the prophetic promises of Scripture. A season of inspiration found in the remembering and retelling of the stories from the first advent as Israel awaited the arrival of their Messiah. As we reflect on the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of our Creator God, themes of hope, peace, joy and love emerge teaching us now, in the second Advent, how to be purposeful in our waiting. Encouraging those who lack hope. Bringing peace where there is strife. Spreading joy to the broken. And selflessly loving others, all the while looking forward to the return of Jesus and his good rule and reign in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of 
peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, thanks be to God. Watch this life change story. People, so I don't look at it that way, right? Surely I would have, I would have loved to have done God this 20 been. years ago, but no regrets, right? I went through what I went through because God's going to use that for me to help other people going forward. If we back up a little bit, I um, didn't grow up with God in my life. I didn't uh, start a relationship with Jesus until. September of 1995. My mom had died in April of 1995 and I really got into this world. I mean, I spiraled downward in this world after she died because she was everything to me. And uh, there was one guy that came alongside of me and he persisted and pursued and he gave me my first Bible. He'd have lunch with me almost every day until one Sunday morning in September, I broke down and accepted Christ as my savior. That was a beautiful day, but ever since then, I remained in a struggle with him. I mean, it was a wrestling match, it really was. And I would let the ways of this world, you know, draw me back. I'd, I'd go through periods of my life where I'd be like, okay, Christ, I got this, you know, I'm good. And I would fall back into the ways of the world and I would turn my back, quite honestly. And then finally, March of 2020, I came alongside another man that showed me that I had some characteristics of my life that kept me from that authentic relationship with Christ and that kept drawing me back into the things of this world. And so once I figured that out, I mean, when and it was a process to figure that out, right? But it was selfishness and self-centeredness. It was my ego and pride. It was insecurities, right? And so when I, after I started figuring out that those were keeping me from my relationship with Christ and it's not like those went away, you know? It's not like they just disappeared, but it's an, it's an awareness of those and understanding when they come between me and my Savior, right? It's like when I'm being selfish and recognizing that and saying, is this turmoil being caused because you're being selfish or because you're being prideful? And continually, you know, keeping those things in check. And really what, I, what that did for me is, it, it was funny because before March of 2020, I would have told you I have a relationship with Christ. I love Jesus and I have a relationship with Christ, but it was never a true, authentic relationship with Jesus. And an awareness of those things has gotten me to that point. It's gotten me to that point where now I really truly believe that my relationship with Christ is, is authentic and real. And so now that I've uncovered what it takes to have that authentic relationship with Christ, I think I'm, I'm more authentic with the people around me, right? I'm truthful and honest in everything, right? When I fell into the ways of this world, that wasn't always necessarily the case, right? But I think it's an overall consciousness and awareness of when I'm not doing the things that would please God, you know, that would please my relationship with God. Being more of a spiritual father, you know, leading my kids better spiritually, trying to share with them different things about what that relationship means. So somebody that's gone through maybe some of the trials, the same trials that I have, I think probably the first message that I would say is don't let your past define you. If you really feel like you want to make a change, you know, there's the first step is probably the most important in walking towards that change. And I, I think unequivocally I could share with you that this life was not meant to be done alone. God intended us to have relationships and when you need to get out of the ways of the world and create a more authentic relationship with Him, that's super, super important is to create those relationships and have people that you can be authentic with. But I think the biggest thing that we get stuck in is letting our past define us, right? I mean, I think for years when the world would grip me, I let that define who I was instead of defining who I am in Christ. And I would always get stuck in that, right? I mean, literally I would say, I think I'm allergic to happiness. I've got, to, I've got to continue in this agony because that's who I am. And, and that just isn't true, you know? I mean, I think the other big thing is um, recover, you know, just recovering who you are as a person inside. If you've let the world take you into a place that really isn't who you are, then recovering that who that person is um, is really encouraging and, and really, it's exciting, you know? And I think the biggest thing is don't let the past define you. Keep looking forward, keep looking up, and that's a big thing, I think. One by one, God took them from me, all the things I valued most. Till I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. 
And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty till I heard his voice imploring, lift those empty hands to me. Then I raised my hands toward heaven and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull. God cannot pour his riches into hands already full. Have you ever felt like this person walking along in darkness? Wondering if there was more? Wondering if you could get past the things that you struggled with? I knew Michael all those years. You could always put a smile over your pain, could you, Michael? I would never have known that he was going through such difficulty. And so that's why Isaiah wrote, the people walk in darkness. The people walk walking in darkness. You see, they were walking in darkness. God had fulfilled what he said he would do. You see, early on, he told them when they entered the promised land, if they lived like the Egyptians did or like the Canaanites were living where they were going, that he would vomit them out of the land. And that's exactly what they did. They lived the way that they wanted to live. Not according to his law or his way. But the standards that he had set, they did it their way. And so over a period of about 300 years, he sent prophets to warn them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. He sent them all. Turn around. Don't go this direction. But they did. The 8th century, the Assyrians would come. The 6th century, the Babylonians would come. And they would absolutely destroy Israel and Judah. They were walking in darkness. But you see, they had hope because of God's promises. God keeps his promises. He had made the promise of land, seed, and blessing, and it wasn't conditional that they would be his chosen people forever. You see, even in those darkest times, there is a ray of hope. I remember praying for my grandfather. I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. When I got up off my knees, the first person I thought about was my grandfather. He was my hero. I prayed for him for 24 years. Almost 25. The last two times I shared with him, once he got up and left the room, and the last time he cursed me and got up and walked out, and I'd almost given up. But a few months later, I had the privilege of leading that old man to Christ. Sitting there on the side of his bed with his old white hair sticking straight up. He asked Jesus to come into his heart. Don't ever give up. Even when you're walking in darkness. Don't give up. Because you see we are a people who are on a journey. Whose end is the fulfillment 
of a promise. Hope is the relentless, the relentless anticipation of an unseen reality. Back in the 80s, John Sutherland was the coach of the Lady Razorbacks basketball team, and he and I were good friends. And He came up to me one night after a service and said, you, uh, you're obsessed with heaven, aren't you? Well, I had never thought about that, but maybe I am. Is that such a bad thing? Obsessed with the hope of heaven. And I began to think about it. I love to read about heaven. I love to teach about heaven. I love to sing about heaven. Loved all those songs about heaven. That's how the story's going to end, right? Why not get excited about heaven? It's the relentless anticipation of an unseen reality. And so as we finish Isaiah 9, 2, look at the rest of that verse. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned because God's promises are true. And even though you may have known Jesus for a long time and you continue struggling, there's hope, isn't there, Michael? We never give up. Never give up. Because God's promises are true. Louis Schmidty said something to this effect, that Christian hope is not a passion for the possible, it's a passion for the promise. In the book of Isaiah, it's filled with promises of the Messiah. I've listed some of these for you here by Roy Zook. He will be called before his birth to be God's servant. He will be born of a virgin. He will be a descendant of Jesse through his Davidic line. He will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He will be gentle toward the weak. He will be obedient to the Lord in his mission. He will voluntarily submit to suffering. He will be rejected by Israel. He will take on himself the sins of the world. He will triumph over death. He will be exalted. He will come to comfort Israel and bring vengeance on the wicked. He will manifest God's glory. He will restore Israel spiritually to God and physically to the land. He will reign on David's throne. He will bring joy to Israel. He will make a new covenant with Israel. He will be a light to the Gentiles. He will restore the nations. He will be worshipped by the Gentiles. He will govern the world. He will judge in righteousness, justice, and faithfulness. And those are just a few of the prophecies of Christ in the book of Isaiah. Just one book. Just one book of the Old Testament. That tells us all that Jesus is and all that he will be. And we've seen many of those things that I just read to you. They've already come to pass. Our God is one who keeps his promises. So let's talk about the purpose of his birth for a moment. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that we wrote, we read just a moment ago. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I encourage you during this Christmas season, just, sit, just take a day to focus on one of those. And then another day to focus on another. And then another day to focus on another. Read scriptures that accompany those ideas. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The reluctance of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Is that what it says? <laughs> Not the reluctance, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You think we're excited about heaven? He is more excited about what he is going to do for us. He will carry that purpose through all the way for our sakes. Isaiah 7, 14, we read of the manner of his birth. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And those who read that passage in its context says, wait, wait, wait. This is talking about Assyria. But then Matthew 
What did Matthew say in Matthew chapter 1, 22? All this took place, he says, to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. God with us. The manner of his birth is God becoming one of us. And that's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? Just do this. Yeah. That's hard for us to comprehend the fact that God would become one of us. Paul Harvey used to tell a story. If you're old enough, you remember Paul Harvey on the radio. Uh, or you could pull him up on the World Wide Web if you like and listen to some of his stories. But he had a great way of telling a story. And, and, and this is one that he used to tell at Christmas. He said this. He just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which churches proclaimed at Christmas. He's talking about someone else. It just didn't make sense to him and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the whole Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. So on one Christmas Eve, he told his wife, I'm not going with you to church on Christmas Eve. He said he felt like a hypocrite. And so he stayed home. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier and then went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, then another, and then another. He wondered if someone was throwing snowballs at his window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a little flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter, had tried to fly through his window. Well, he, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze, and so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Quickly, he put on a coat and his boots, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on the light, but the birds wouldn't come in. He figured food would entice them, so he hurried back into the kitchen and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled them in the snow, making a trail to the barn. But the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If, if only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Any move he made frightened them. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language, then I could tell them not to be afraid. I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them. So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the howling wind, and he stood there listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And in that moment, he understood the real meaning of Christmas that God had become one of us. To show us the way. Emmanuel. God with us. In 1 John 1.1. John described it to us. As he was a friend of Jesus. He said this. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked at. And our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, God with us. We have seen it and testified to it and we reclaim, proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. 
This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. You see, the people who wandered in darkness have seen a great light. If you have not seen that light, we implore to you, hear the words of the scriptures, that God does not want you to walk in darkness. If you know Christ as your Savior, God doesn't want you to live in the midst of poor choices and hopelessness and guilt. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, do we have a story to tell you of all that He has done to draw you to Himself? The place of His birth. We were told that He would be born in Bethlehem. I've been there many times, and every time I've wondered why here. We have this picture in our minds of what Bethlehem is like, but let me tell you, it's not like that at all. It's a place that whenever I'm there, I'm afraid most of the time. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose someone from our group because I know I'll probably never get them back. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It was a small, insignificant place in Israel. But God tends to return to places that are close to his heart. You see that all over Israel. Nick, you just got back. Cassie, Chris, Carrie. You see that all over Israel that God tends to return to those places. And you see Bethlehem and those fields outside of Bethlehem. That's where Boaz fields are. And that's where he met Ruth. And she worked in those fields. And they would have a son named Obed who had a son named Jesse and he would have a son named David. So their great-grandson, David, King David, would work those same fields with sheep one day. And it was in those same fields that the angels would appear one night to a group of shepherds and say, glory to God and on in, on." Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to men, on whom his favor rests. See that beautiful place, those fields outside of Bethlehem. You look up in the sky and think God has called this little place special. And then there's the celebration of his coming. Isaiah 40 and verse 9. The reminder that God keeps his promises. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. Go up on a high place where everyone can see, where everyone can hear you. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And that message speaks of a time that's yet to come. A time that's yet to come. Because he is speaking of the hope of when Jesus will come back and rule and reign on this earth forever. The disciples were standing there looking into heaven when Jesus left. Ha! Huh. They thought they'd had the rug yanked out from under them. He was gone. He had promised a comforter would come. But right now, he was gone. He was dead. He 
came back and he revealed himself to them and now he was gone again as he descended and ascended into heaven. And they just stood there looking, looking. Maybe he'll come back. And an angel came to them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which you see ascending into heaven, will come back just like he went. And so that's our promise today. And so Advent is about Christmas. It means coming. When I first came to fellowship and was putting together some of our first Christmas celebrations, I learned about Advent. And I thought, you know what? This is a good way to keep Christ as the center of Christmas. And so that year, we started celebrating Advent here at Fellowship as a reminder to keep Christ at the center of Christmas. But we also celebrated it in our homes. And I encourage you to do that today. Start this weekend. I have here with me, this is an Advent little set that we set up in our house. It all starts with a Christ candle, which is the tallest candle. And these candles, we've probably been using for almost 30 years. Our children used to fight over blowing them out and lighting them. There's wax all over this thing where they would just blow them out and blow wax everywhere, all over the table. But you'd have the prophecy candle of hope. That would be the first one that we would light on this weekend. And we would read a scripture, one of those like we read tonight. Then you have the shepherd's candle of peace. That we would light and talk about the peace that he brings. And in the Bethlehem candle of joy, which is the pink one, everybody wanted to light that one because it was the brightest. Then we had the angel's candle of love. We'd light that one. And on Christmas morning, it's always so special to light the Christ candle. And remember that he said he would come, and he did. And he has promised that he will come again. And we believe with all of our hearts that he will. Because he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. As the prophecy candle of hope is lighted, remember that our hope is a relentless anticipation of an unseen reality. And that our God will keep his promises. My friend Michael made a decision. He called me a few weeks ago. And uh, he said, I'm ready to be baptized. It's kind of dark over here, isn't it, Michael? There was, there's a light. One of the, Michael walks in darkness, but he's seen a great light. But um, Michael called a few weeks ago, and I didn't see it coming. Michael went to Israel, he and his wife Carrie, with us a few years ago. And I'm sad that she can't be here with us tonight because her dad got sick just a few days ago and she had to go to Denver. But, but we knew this night was going to be very, very special. Because you heard Michael's story just a little while ago about even though he accepted Christ in 1995, he just kept going back to some of those old choices. But he's made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as his Savior and really follow him. Really follow him. And so, Michael, is it your testimony that you know Jesus is your Savior? Yes, sir. Is it your intention to follow him all the days of your life? Absolutely. All right. Well, would you join me in praying for Michael? It's good to have his family with us there on about the fifth row, I think. Home for Christmas. Home for Thanksgiving, excuse me. Home for Thanksgiving. And 
So join me in praying for Michael. Dear Father, I thank you for this brother. You've given him a sweet spirit. And he shares it with everyone he knows. And Lord, you know his struggles, the difficulties. But Lord, you never let us go. And so we walk with you. We pray that Michael, Lord, that you will make yourself so real to him, to Carrie, to his children. That Lord, they will all walk with you and lead others to you as well. Lord, we thank you for this sign where Michael is identifying with you in your death, burial, and resurrection. And so it is my privilege, my dear brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to baptize you. The old is past, and the new has come. Let's celebrate this brother. the promise your buried body began to time would you just think of that moment if you know Jesus the moment you accepted him when you know that you could confess that he was the king of your life and if you don't know that moment would you come find one of us tonight we'd love to talk with you one of our staff Who takes away our 
died and rose again. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away our sin. Amen. Oh God, we love you. Lord, as we behold you, Lord, in this gathering space, Lord, may we see you, Lord, as close, as present, as Emmanuel. Lord, you are hope, your hope in this world, God. We love you, and we pray these things in your name, amen. Church, this was a great start to Advent. I have one quick announcement. I forgot the box, but there are a bunch of boxes out in the lobby. Um, I just did the double point. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. There's some boxes out in the lobby that they will explain something that our community team has going on where basically we're going to do a fun game with a cookie exchange. There's instructions on it. I'm not going to try to explain it, but it's kind of fun. So let's, let's go grab all those boxes and give each other cookies for this uh, coming Advent season. Yeah. Amen. I heard a good amen. Um, Church, y'all are great. It's fun getting to worship with y'all. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. Thanks, church.